Disclaimer. I do not give permission for cloning of my voice, sampling of my voice, or the use of my voice to train AI or be used in TTS. Any unauthorized use. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Will be prosecuted. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. If no one has told you lately, you matter and you are a beautiful spirit. How is everyone? Thank you all so much for... The love that you showed on the Unsolved Mysteries video. I kind of had a feeling deep down everyone would like it. <laughs> it's one of my favorite genres that scares the crap out of me. So volume two will be coming soon. I won't make it like a regular thing. It'll be sort of like a special release. The more and more stories that I find. So thank you all so much for the love and support on that video. Down in the description box, if you are enjoying what you are hearing, there is a buy me a coffee link that you can go to to buy me a coffee. Doing so helps me and supports the channel. And I appreciate the love as well if you would like to become a member of back to ashes it's only a dollar 99 a month or up if you select a different tier that can also be found in the description box below with that being said it is time to go back to ashes for when we arise from the ashes we are a bigger brighter stronger and happier person in the morning sit back relax kick back grab a snack or tuck in and get warm and enjoy this dose of vocal melatonin entitled true creepy backwoods stories quick side note after this introduction there will be an ad i'll read the first story there'll be an ad and throughout the rest of the video there'll be no more ads so that you can enjoy this vocal melatonin I'm from South Jersey and spent a lot of time in the Pine Barrens camping, hiking, off-roading in my Jeep. I started spending more time at Brendan D. Bryan State Forest over the last few years because of the off-road trails. There's a lake called Pakeen Pond along one of the main roads in the park, and it's a great place to go and park to look up at the stars. Something of note is that this state forest is very close, approximately 15 miles, from Joint Base McGuire and Fort Dix. To get right to it, I've seen strange, unexplainable lights in the trees in different areas of the forest. The first few times were while parked at Pekin Pond and stargazing. I noticed small lights that would sometimes flicker or stay stationary just below the tree line. Easily mistakable for stars. I don't think much of it until I realize that during the daytime, the tree line was high enough that there's no way I could have been seeing stars through the thick foliage and tree line. I brought my wife with me the next time, specifically to show her these strange lights, and sure enough, they were there. Not in the same spots, They seemingly move. Two years later, and I just went camping on Thanksgiving Eve with my old friend, and the park was pretty much empty because it was 30 degrees. All night long, I could see the lights in the trees, 
below the tree line. They perplex me. I have no clue what they are. I can't find anything online about this, so I think I need to do my own investigation. I don't know what to think of them, except possibly some sort of light being or fairies. That sounds ridiculous to say, but they seem paranormal in nature. Does anyone have any idea what these are? Anyone have a similar experience in the Pine Barrens or anywhere else? All answers would be appreciated. This took place last year, at the beginning of summer. I was with my mom, headed down to my Nana's farm to visit for a weekend. For some context, she lives on a farm way back in the country, right at the foot of a mountain in rural South Carolina. It's a very rural, secluded area, so the roads are badly maintained and barely wide enough for two cars to pass one another. The houses are also spread out and set far back into the tree line from the road, so there's very little ambient light besides the headlights of a car. So my mom and I are driving along, her in the driver's seat and me in the passenger. It was around 11 p.m. and we are 15 minutes away from Nana's, deep in the woods with the radio down almost to silent. We come onto this straight stretch of the road in a heavily wooded area, and suddenly this blur of a creature darts out across the road, right at the edge of our headlights. It was moving pretty good, but both me and my mom were able to get a good look at it, and both agree on what we saw. It was a fairly large creature, roughly the size of a person or bigger. Neither of us could make out the head, but we both remember it appearing to have a segmented body. Those are my mom's words. As if it were emaciated and its ribcage were poking out. The reflection of light made it hard for me to tell color, but my mom said she remembered it to be dark and she didn't see fur or hair. It had long limbs, and as it moved across the road, it didn't run the way a dog or horse would, with all four legs. The best word to describe it would be lopping, using its front limbs to pull itself along, and it was moving considerably fast. We both said something along the lines of, What the hell is that? As it crossed in front of us, as we got up to where it had crossed, I turned to look at it just as it reached the other side of the road and out of our headlights. And I swear on my life, it stood up and ran. Not like a dog rearing on its hind legs. It was definitely bipedal. I immediately yelled that it had stood up and we both started getting nervous. I honestly would have thought I was going insane had I not had another person in the car with me. My mom has always been a pretty level-headed person and not superstitious, but she was very nervous and made me agree to not tell my Nana about it to avoid scaring her, 
which made me recognize how serious this was. I should also mention that there had apparently been a series of attacks on livestock and horses in the area around the time this happened. People were saying they found wire fences ripped through and their animals attack. I don't think any one died, but if I remember correctly, there were a few horses that were severely wounded. There have been a few other strange instances in the area, but this was my personal experience. I'll keep this short and sweet. A few years back, we are having a brutally cold winter. The snow had frozen into ice and covered everything. It was pitch black in the backyard when I went to let my dogs outside, one last time before bed that evening. As we exited the house from the sliding glass door of the walkout basement and onto the lower deck, I felt that something was off. Our house backs up to some woods, so I was accustomed to hearing noises from wildlife in the night. This night, however, was different. Nothing made a sound except the arctic cold wind, but I had the feeling I was being watched. The entire time my dog was in the backyard, I looked around nervously expecting a coyote or other predator to pop out of the tree line. My dog did his business, but afterward stopped and stared at a corner of the woods until I got creeped out and called him back inside. I quickly locked the sliding door and shut the curtains, unable to shake the uneasy feeling I had outside. After double and triple checking all the locks in the house, I went to bed. Around three o'clock in the morning, I hear the muffled sound of my dog barking from the basement two floors below. My got up stumbled down three flights of stairs and found him standing at the basement sliding door. He was peeking his head through the closed curtains, barking his head off with the hair standing up all along his back. I tried calling him away from the door, but he wouldn't let up. I dreaded peeking out the curtain to see what he was barking at after the uneasy feeling I had earlier in the night. Finally, I held my breath and swiped the curtain aside. I peered into the inky blackness, but saw nothing to cause any alarm. A wave of relief washed over me. I figured it must have been a deer or raccoon in the yard that set him off. He whined at the door for a few more minutes until I bribed him upstairs with a dog cookie. I went back to bed and wasn't disturbed again. That is, until the morning when I went to the basement to let out the dog. I opened the sliding door and walked out onto the deck as he bounded into the snow. My blood ran as cold as the sub-zero morning temperatures when I looked down. There, frozen in the ice on the deck, was a set of bare, human 
footprints. They were very clear. I could make out each toe on the person's foot. The prints were large and appeared to be from an adult male. Looking around, I noticed they started at the base of the deck, went to the sliding door, and the window of the basement living room, then seemed to disappear off the side of the deck. I had my snow boots on, so I walked around the yard, but I could find no trace of the footprints in the snow once they left the deck. Keep in mind, the daily temperatures that winter barely made it above zero degrees Fahrenheit, and the wind chill made it feel close to 20 below. Frostbite would set in within a matter of minutes for anyone walking around barefoot, especially in the dead of night. I never experienced anything like that again, but I did adopt a second dog for security shortly thereafter. My grandpa was born in the last years of the 19th century and spent his entire life living in rural Idaho as a farmer and rancher. He had tons of old cowboy stories he would tell us as grandkids. Most of them were funny, some were cautionary, but a few were just downright creepy. When my grandpa was six years old, he along with his older brother and a gang of kids from nearby farms, decided to go ice skating for the day. At that time, my great-grandpa was working as a ranch hand and the family lived near Chesterfield, Idaho, now mostly a ghost town. It was a bright and sunny January day in 1902, and though the temperature was low, the sun kept things somewhat warm. They had hitched sleighs to their houses and headed down to the Portner River to ice skate. There were eight kids altogether, and they were excited to show off their new skates for Christmas. Along with my grandpa and his brother, there were the three Robinson kids, Tommy Bear and the Gooch twins. The best spot to skate was next door to the Gooch's ranch. The river there was broad and shallow, so the ice tended to be thicker, and if they did fall through, they would just get their legs wet. The kids spent a couple of hours skating when a loud scream came from a willow bush on the riverbank opposite them. The kids could only watch as a giant man covered head to toe in thick black fur came lumbering out of the bushes. It was carrying a large tree branch and was screaming in rage at the kids. They fled towards the sleighs trying to scramble up the riverbank in their skates. My grandpa, being the youngest, was at the back of the rush. He couldn't get a good foothold because of the skates and fell back towards the ice. The giant was now crossing the river towards them, screaming and swinging his branch. My grandpa was sure this creature was going to eat him. As my grandpa tells it, Lady Luck smiled down on me that day by the river. 
because as the giant was midway across the river, the ice gave way. It only submerged its shins, but was slowed down considerably as it tried to get back on top of the ice. This gave my grandpa's brother enough time to jump down and cut the laces off my grandpa's skates. They left the skates and dashed up the riverbank and jumped onto the sleigh. As they looked back, the giant man was cresting the riverbank. To their relief, it didn't chase the sleighs. It just stood there hollering at the kids and swinging his tree branch. The kids were able to make it back to the Gooch Ranch, where they told their encounter to John Gooch, the twins' grandfather. Word spread quickly in the tiny farming community, and soon a posse was formed to hunt down the beast. Where the kids had been skating, there was found footprints almost two feet in length. My grandpa's skates were found near the tracks. They had both been bent in half like horseshoes. The tracks headed west into the nearby mountains. The posse followed them as far as they could, but deep snow prevented their travel any further. The creature was never sighted in that area again. The story captivated the small community and soon word traveled across the country of the Idaho Wild Man. That spring, my great-grandpa decided to buy a ranch in the Little Lost River Valley, farther north in Idaho. My grandpa had many other weird and creepy backwoods stories, but he always said that this encounter frightened him the most. He was sure he would have been killed if the giant hadn't broken through the ice and given his brother a chance to cut his laces. My brother is two years older, and we've probably spent 10,000 hours and then some in the woods together. Whether it was building forts or BMX tracks to LARPing and hunting. We've traveled across the U.S. exploring caves, canyons, cliff diving, mountain biking, camping, hunting white-tailed mule deer, wild boar, etc. Since 2016, when we get the time off. I feel like adding this is important because there's genuinely nothing I wouldn't do or fear when I have him by my side. But this time was different, and we both felt it. We've had our fair share of adventures and stories to tell of all sorts, but this one felt like a lingering stain on my memory. We were both mid-twenty-ish, and it was 2019, and this was probably my fifth time hunting the area, and the first I brought my brother along. It's a large forest area of public land that has a few county roads, which are basically two tracks that stretch miles throughout the area. We make the trip up in my truck with our tents, three in total. One for each of us and another to change in and keep our gear in. Without making this long-winded, we set up camp a couple miles from the truck, which we drove for quite a few miles through the trails. Basically, middle of nowhere. Nearest main road is probably 8 to 10 miles away. 
We arrived late in the night, set up camp, and quickly fell asleep after a long trip. We then spent the next day scouting and tracking, then made back to the camp for the night. We cooked, then ate, had some beers, and bullshitted. The night was still early, but we had a long day and decided to head off for the night. Everything up until this point was normal. I was suddenly awoken to something smacking my tent and hearing my brother's voice call my name. I knew something was off. I called back to him and he immediately unzipped my tent and made his way inside. I could tell he was disturbed when I went to ask him what's wrong, and he immediately grabbed my shoulder and told me to shush. The sun wasn't up yet, so I think it was around 4.30, maybe 5-ish a.m. We sat in my tent, and what we heard still confuses me to this day. I can only explain it as whale sounds. Different tones of extremely loud noise that I could feel throughout my body. It would come and go, but there would only be a few seconds of silence in between the sounds. It would vary from high-pitched squeals and everything in between to very low sounds that had literal ground-shaking reverb. I regrettably didn't think to grab my phone or record anything that was going on because what I was hearing didn't seem real and in the moment, I was awestruck. The sound went on until daylight started to break. I believed it was about an hour, but I'm not really sure. Neither of us spoke, and at the time, it felt like I could feel the energy around me, almost like my body was covered in white noise, if that makes sense. It wasn't even minutes after the sound stopped that started to rain, and one of the craziest thunderstorms while I was camping happened. The forecast didn't predict or account for any rain the days we were going to be there prior to making the trip. All the stakes for the tent our gear was in completely ripped out of the ground, and both of our tents had multiple stakes ripped out as well. Those things were driven to the ground with an axe and would take some insane force to unearth even a single one. My brother dismisses it and won't even talk about it, saying it was just machinery being dragged. But at the time, we both shared the same feeling of fear and dread. It just seems odd it was still in the middle of the night, and we were so far removed from any nearby communities and industry to hear and experience this occurrence. Needless to say, we won't be choosing that campsite any time in the future. I would just like to start off by saying this happened about an hour ago, so my memory is still fresh. First of all, I am living very rural in a small village with maybe 10 to 15 houses, but close to the highway. You can drive there within maybe five minutes. And also about ten minutes away from the town. 
If you cross the street, it just takes you about 10 minutes walk to reach the forest. First Christmas Day In the afternoon, my partner and I decided to go for a little digestive walk, as we were really stuffed from all the food. It was about 5 o'clock and already dark when we left, and we had a big and bright LED flashlight with us. I also took my camera and my flash, as I love taking pictures of nature at night. We decided to walk on a little country road towards the forest and then turn right, following a small graveled cycle trail close to the forest border, which connects our village and the next, maybe a 15 to 20 minutes walk in between each village. In the middle part of the track, you have to walk through a small bit of forest. It's rather dark and the trees are very high and quite dense. When we entered, I saw our flashlight reflecting on something and recognized a car being parked there on the side of the track, close to the trees. This struck me as odd, as cars are not allowed to drive there and the path is very narrow and hidden. So, I was a bit cautious. My partner pointed the light inside of the car and it seemed to be empty. I also noticed the windows were frozen, so it must have been parked there for a while. A bit in front of the car, I spotted a tree with an intriguing structure, and I asked my partner to point the flashlight towards it so I could focus better and photograph it with my flash. After I took a few images, my partner told me, Um, there is someone standing behind us in the middle of the road. He is looking at us. Nobody was following us the whole way. I kept looking around and behind us occasionally, because at this time in the evening, and close to the border of the forest, there are boars sometimes and it's mating season, so they are more aggressive than usual. Indeed, there was a man standing behind us, staying out of the flashlight's reach. He wasn't saying anything, just standing there and facing us. At first, I thought he might be startled, as it may seem a bit weird if someone's just taking photos around your car. It was not even legal to drive on that path with the car. I decided to get up and confront him from a distance, explaining to him that I was just taking photos of that tree. He didn't react and still just stood there. I then went on to ask him if he needed some light, and he replied that this wasn't necessary. It was odd, but I was still calm, sure about there being a normal explanation for his behavior. Nonetheless, my partner and I decided to just get the F out and followed the path leading to the next village. It was maybe five to seven minutes until we reached it. I remembered the letters on his license plate, not the numbers though, unfortunately, and googled it. And it turned out that he was from a city about six hours away from our village. Mind you, the country I live in is in a very strict lockdown right now, so you are only allowed to travel 
even by car, if you have very urgent reasons. After we reached the first lantern of the next village, we looked back and observed the car driving a bit out of the forest, turning around and going back inside. I was able to see that he parked there again and turned the lights off. He didn't leave the forest. We then went home on a much longer way than initially intended, as I didn't want to go back there for obvious reasons. Our flashlight battery died on the way, and my phone battery was low, so I didn't want to call the police back then, but I called them as soon as I arrived home and gave them all the details. Big regret that I didn't memorize the whole license plate, but... It was just so surprising that I seriously didn't think about it. Also, it only occurred to me as really strange when I thought about the frozen windows and that he could possibly have walked behind us, plus him having no light and not responding. He did seem to be sneaking up on us when I sat down to take the photo. I think I was very lucky to have my partner, the camera, and the bright light with me. I don't want to imagine what could have happened if I was alone. I hope the police eventually went out there and caught that creepy guy in the forest. I now no longer want to visit that part of that forest ever again. I grew up in Orange County, California. Don't quit on me just yet. But there were some real wild areas around us, believe it or not. In high school, we went out to this place called Black Star Canyon in the Cleveland National Forest. Big, densely wooded area of oak that stretches from O.C. to San Diego, almost to the border. Even contains Marine Corps Base Camp Pendleton. Anyways... We had been told it was haunted growing up. Turns out, true story. There was a tribe up there that was slaughtered in the 1800s by hired fur trappers because they kept stealing the Mexican ranchers' horses for meat. Enough said for a bunch of dumb high schoolers, so we plan a night hike to this place. My friends and I did stuff like this all the time, but I consider myself pretty skeptical. And luckily, most of us were pretty level-headed. This area is pretty known for mountain lions, too. So we were all on guard and in agreement to turn around at any sign if just one of us wanted to. So, the way the trail works, you park at a forestry gate and start to walk a long, old asphalt narrow road that's mostly dirt from when there were sparse houses in the 50s and 60s before the floods washed them out and the land was committed to NFS, eventually turning to full hiking trail. Along this road is a line of barbed wire, as well with all kinds of signs warning you not to cross. So, here we are. Typical idiots walking a road on a hardly silvered moon pitch black night after midnight and not using our flashlights to add to the flare. Well, as we go and venture deeper and deeper down this road, 
which we'd never been on, mind you. I keep seeing what appears to be a cowboy leaning on the wooden fence post, holding the bob wire. Just kind of leaning on it, but distinctly looking at us. I'm talking full-blown cowboy-brimmed hat just leaning, but it's just a silhouette out of the side of my eye, and every time I look straight on, there's nothing. I'm telling myself I'm logical and push it off as a trick of the eyes to keep my cool. But I keep seeing the mother effer every ten or so posts, but don't say a thing to the guys. We get to a point where we've been walking for over an hour and debate on heading back just because of the time. Just then, my friend goes, Yeah, and I keep thinking I'm seeing a cowboy along the fence line. I, no shit, feel my stomach drop out of me. I couldn't believe it. These were plain wooden fence posts, maybe a typical four feet or so tall, with mostly filled behind them. No way that looks like a person. So I open up about it also, and we all agree to turn around. Just then, my other buddy starts flipping out, ripping his shirt off, screaming about getting stung. We're all kind of confused looking at him like he's crazy, but he insists a bee or something just stung him. So we turn our lights on his back to look and watch as three distinct scratches form, stretching from one shoulder diagonal to the opposite hip, even drawing blood. We were done, needless to say, after that, but made it back to the car without further incident. You can probably argue the shadow was coincidence in the dark and shapes playing tricks. Sure, I'll give you that. But, throw in the scratch in a way that we watched happen right. As we're discussing dickhead, ghost, cowboy, and in a way he couldn't do it himself and none of us standing in a circle did it to him. Okay, there's definitely something going on. This area ended up being used by Jack Osborne's show Haunted Highway in his pilot episode. It's pretty cool, and I've been back since, but only in the day. California has more to do than you'd imagine. This is just one story of many I've experienced in this forest. Here is a follow-up story. This was actually on Mount San Jacinto, a large mountain that sits between L.A. and Palm Springs. The area is gorgeous and juts up, and I mean near vertical face, from the 10 freeway at about 2,000 feet, topping out at 10,834 feet. The Pacific Crest trails run through this area, And according to what I'm reading online, it's technically a national monument with over 280,000 acres. But that's not even including all the surrounding mountain and wilderness area. Just to set the imagery, I know when I say California, you think beaches or maybe small rolling hills. But I need you to imagine the setting as dense, dense, high elevation pine forest with granite as the main base, very rocky terrain. 
real mountains like you imagine in Yosemite and the like. So this area technically stretches again to the Mexican border. And there's all kinds of warnings from people going missing to cartel and coyote crossings through it. And of course wildlife. Rattlesnakes, bear, mountain lions, etc. However, it is incredibly beautiful. And I was invited there for a backpacking trip. This was going to be with my two buddies from high school. I was a junior at the time. And one of their dads and sister was joining us as well. All of them had been there before, but it was my first time there and backpacking in general. I'd been camping many times prior and felt confident and excited. The plan goes without a hitch. We end up hiking up for three days and two nights. Summit and relax with our main camp being in Round Valley. This area is a thick, grassy, oblong meadow that sits in a bowl of granite covered in large sugar and Jeffrey pines. It is longer running east to west than north to south. You enter it from the trail running east along the south side until you find a fork at the road of the grass where there is water. You then walk clockwise around the meadow heading northwest. The area is a habitat-sensitive area, so you're not supposed to enter the grass. Also, there are multiple sites to set up there. Rangers ask you to stick to the ones marked. So we go until we find the furthest spot at the westernmost point of the area. Very secluded, up away from the grass about 40 yards into some trees on some sandy, decomposed granite and larger rocks. I should specify, we were the only overnight hikers that trip. Pretty rare. So, like I said, we hike with no issues and we were having a good time. It's our last night and there's no moon out. My friend's dad and sister are already asleep. He's loudly snoring, that's how I know. And we're about 10 yards off, sitting in a circle with our headlamps on, red light smoking cigars. We snuck up just laughing, having a good old time. It's right then, something big runs by our camp. This thing was loud, and so fast that in the time it took us to turn our heads around and turn the headlamps to bright, it was gone. It was so loud when it ran through that it woke my friend's dad up from a dead sleep with him going, What the hell was that? I swear to you, you could fill it in the granite. It was heavy. All of us, minus my friend's sister, go into investigation mode and find nothing. We meet back up and I start really thinking about it and it dawns on me. Whatever that was, was running on two feet. It was distinctly bipedal. Like I said, I'm comfortable in the woods. Been camping and hiking my whole life. I've been around deer, boar, even accidentally spooked a mountain lion on a trail. Even had a kangaroo rat. Louder sounding than you'd expect. Hop up on me as I slept on the ground and none of them sounded like this when they run. 
This I describe more like running barefoot on tile on a raised foundation. Like you could hear the thud and distinct one, two, one, two, one, two. No gallop, no hop, just two legged running. I immediately bring this up and their eyes get big. One of my friends, a real stoic Hank Hill type, if you will, army medic today, starts looking for boot prints, but no luck thanks to the thin layer of chunky sand on rock. We're scratching our heads. This came from the north of us, which not far from camp only leads to the cliff-like side of the mountain. Why would someone be coming from the middle of nowhere and blast by our camp instead of shout out or walk by? It's not the most remote mountain, but that was odd. And why not have a headlamp on? And why, if it was a person wearing boots, did we hear the thud and not the slip of the tread on the sand? Then, my other friend says it. Dude, what if it's Bigfoot? We kind of half laugh and look at each other, but the search ended there. We told the ranger we ran into about it when we were at half stride on the way down. He stopped, looked at us dead in the eyes and goes, Yeah, Sasquatch is a trickster. Then bid us goodbye. When we got home, we ended up researching and the area is surprisingly rich in Bigfoot stories. The native tribes actually described a Bigfoot-like beast as a child stealer and even named one of the peaks after it. But we never did find out. I've always been open to the idea of Bigfoot, but I'm not sure I can count this as an incident just yet. We all agreed after that. We're not taking our chances and we'll no longer be camping in that area again. This is my first time sharing this story. My brother encouraged me to share this with you. I'm a 33-year-old white female from Los Angeles. Three years ago, my boyfriend and I, as planned for five years, turned 30, sold everything we owned, including my car, took his trailblazer and decided to just travel around the states and Canada. I guess you could call us backpackers, as we tend to chase good weather, find a state park and backcountry hike into the wilderness for days at a time. My brother likes to joke that we are anti-establishment hippies. We don't necessarily live off the grid, but between the two of us, we have one prepaid phone. We use it for emergencies or checking in with family and friends. And one MacBook, which I use for work. I'm a freelance writer and content creator, and I am on retainer with Robotics Company. I mostly write boring white papers or web content. The whole point of our living situation is to live debt-free and have as few bills as possible. I only use free Wi-Fi, so one to two times a week we have to go to a city with a Starbucks. This background info is only important so you know more about who we are and how simply we live. 
neither of us is involved in social media and know very little of Reddit or Instagram or use any apps. Because our phone is no smartphone, we don't even text. Last summer, we decided to do some backcountry hiking in Arkansas. It's one of those states you don't ever really hear about other hikers visiting. But we read that it had some beautiful natural landscape. Turns out, it does. The rules at this particular park were pretty lax. We didn't need a permit. There were a few basic laws and guidelines, but there was no check-in needed. We had all the basics and had planned to do a six-day hike. Three in, three out. The whole time we were out there, we didn't see or hear another soul. But on day one... We were prepping to move off trail and find a camping spot as it was getting near dusk. A half a mile off trail is usually the standard for us. We took what looked like kind of an animal trail and about half a mile out, we saw a green two-person tent. It was almost camouflaged in the foliage, so we came on it almost by accident. Some backpackers prefer privacy. Others are more social. We're the more social type. We've had some great experiences camping near other backpackers, sharing stories, food, and a joint or two. We were around 30 yards away from the tent. It was zip closed. So my boyfriend shouted a greeting to make our presence known. No movement and no sound. We assumed Green Tent Guy either wasn't around or didn't want to be bothered. So we started off in a new direction to get some distance between us. We camped. Never heard a peep. We moved along the next morning, completely forgetting about Green Tent Guy, until nearing the end of day five on our trek back. We were again looking for a spot to camp off the trail when we came up on the green tent again. This isn't that unusual, but normally backcountry hikers keep moving, so we really weren't expecting it. The tent flap was open, so my boyfriend yells his greeting again and nothing. My boyfriend wants to go check it out, saying it's weird and... Maybe someone is hurt. I didn't like the idea from the get-go, because even though we hadn't had any bad experiences personally, we'd heard enough stories from other backpackers about hermits and mountain men that want privacy, carry guns, etc. But my boyfriend assured me we'd be fine, and if all else fails, offer him some weed to keep the peace and we'd go on our way. As soon as we get within 20 yards of the place, the smell of decomposition is intense. My boyfriend has been hailing his greeting over the last 20 yards, and once the smell hits him, he stops and turns to me and says, What if we find a dead body? My skin crawled. I was immediately afraid. I'd never seen a dead body before and don't want to. The closer we got to the tent, the worse the smell got. 
I knew for sure we were going to walk in and see some old camper's rotting corpse. What we found was worse than that. Outside the tent was a dead doe's leg, all four of them, covered in flies. It looked like the legs had been cut most of the way and then ripped off the rest of the way. It was a mess. Inside was the body and head of the deer, but the middle portion was swaddled in a blue fleece blanket that was blood-soaked at the bottom where the legs used to be. It was laying on its side, bottom facing the tent entry. The tail had been cut off and the anus and vagina was covered in dried blood and agape, like something had been penetrating it. The same with its mouth. The bottom portion was bent down at a scary broken-looking angle. The tent was open, so we could see everything without having to go inside. Not that we would have, anyway. Because at this point, the smell was almost debilitating. There was a dirty, almost empty clear bottle of Jurgen's baby oil and a stained green and white French kitchen towel. That was it. I immediately started crying and begged him to go. All he could muster was, What the F? And we turned and ran. We ran to the trail and jogged down it, for as far as we could go until dusk was fully on us, and we had to set up camp. We didn't go very far off the trail, and neither of us slept. We didn't start a fire or use headlamps after full dark. We just sat up and whispered to each other, going over and over what we had just seen. Every little noise startled us. It was like our brains were on red alert. I kept thinking any moment a dead deer sexual assaultist would come back to his tent, see our footprints or something, know we were there and track us back to our tent. I've never been so scared in my entire life. Just before dawn, we tore down and started out. My boyfriend stopped at the ranger station on our way out of the park to report what we had seen. The ranger was a young guy around our age, and he looked as freaked out by our story as we were telling it. He wrote most of it down, and my boyfriend showed him on a map approximately where it had been. He asked if we knew how the deer was killed, and at that point, we hadn't even thought about it. We just assumed it had been shot, but because of the blanket, we didn't see a wound and we weren't exactly giving it an autopsy either. We have since shortened our backcountry hikes to a maximum of four days. We've also been a lot less eager to call out to other campsites and have never approached another unmanned tent again. My boyfriend, Jason, who's 27, and I, 23, went on a month-long camping trip to multiple states. Everything had been going really well until October 9th. We decided to ditch a campground reservation and randomly pitch our tent 
near Albion Basin within the Uinta Mountains, Alta, Utah, not far off the Secret Lake Trailhead. We parked our car at around 3 p.m. at the Albion Basin Campground, closed for the season. Admittedly, it was a little tense because this was our first dispersed camping attempt, and we had no proper backpacking gear. Upon arrival, we realized the area we wanted to pitch our tent was about two miles uphill. At this point, we started to express regret as we had a planned campsite in Nephi, Utah, that we decided to skip on a whim. After grumping around a bit and having a large lunch to avoid packing food, we packed our backpacks with the best gear we had to get through the night, as it was going to be 25 degrees Fahrenheit. We set out up the trail, seeing the occasional family or couple heading down the mountain. As we trudged down, we both started to feel strange, as if we did not really even know why we were doing this as if we shouldn't have just gotten a hotel instead of trying to play backpackers for the night. But we both felt like we had something to prove, so we continued. Fast forward. We made it up to Secret Lake. Totally empty, so nothing like the pictures. Disappointing and eerie. Whatever. We keep hiking up and up in an attempt to seclusion and flat land when we stumble across a decent space. I see a small cave in the distance and point it out to Jason to deliberate if it's a hell no kind of situation. But after he checked it out, he says it seems like a small animal crawl space, no biggie. We set up as nightfall was quickly approaching, playing some cards bundle up and decide to go to bed early at around 8.30 p.m. as we plan to leave ASAP in the morning at around maybe 5 a.m. We both dwindle slowly and after what feels like 30 minutes, I woke up abruptly at 11.24 p.m. I woke up with a feeling I had never experienced before. I woke up wide awake, scared but unprovoked and as if there was no way in hell I was going to fall back asleep, when I always sleep through the night. Jason was asleep, so I let him be and just lie there, alert, trying to listen to anything I could hear, which was nothing. It was very silent. Around midnight, Jason woke up stirring, much to my delight as I did not want to feel alone anymore. I told him I could not sleep, but he suggested I just rest my eyes as we were leaving early in the morning. I agreed, initially not wanting to be a baby and say I was very scared. This was very short-lived as Jason could not fall back asleep himself, and we ended up laying together trying to sleep when I ended up blurting out that I was scared. We agreed it fine for us to just stick it through the night as it was now approaching 2.30 a.m. And we had a small axe and a pellet gun for protection, so I did not need to be frightened. Not even five minutes later, we are still wide awake and Jason's head perks up so fast my heart jumped out of my chest 
and I whispered, What is it? He replied, Shh, 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 listen. And I shit you not, we distinctively heard the sound of gravel crunching under boots as if someone walked up to our tent, stopped, and then walked to my side of the tent. I felt the blood drain out of my face in an instant. In real time, this all occurred in no more than ten seconds, but my mind flashed a million thoughts, and for a millisecond, I was convinced it was a ranger coming to tell us we could not camp there. So I called out, Hello? My brain entirely sure I heard human footsteps. Within two to three seconds of hearing the footsteps, Jason grabbed the gun and bursted out of the tent for any chance to confront this person, as I knew he heard exactly what I had heard. Nothing. There was nothing there. As soon as Jason bursted out and me after him, there was nothing there. We heard something walk up so clearly, but nothing walked away. Hardly exchanging two words, we packed up our stuff, looking over our shoulders, terrified, feeling watched, and booked it down the mountain with only moonlight guiding our way, too scared to turn on our flashlights. This was the worst 20 to 30 minutes of my life, half expecting to look over my shoulder to find someone following us. When we made it to our car, we locked the doors and started the descent out of the mountains, almost speechless and scared out of our minds. At this point, we reached town at around 3.30 a.m. and slept in a well-lit parking lot of a grocery store. We have obviously since discussed what happened that night, and we are both haunted by the sound of those footsteps. I'm a 27-year-old female and live in a small town in North Italy, a valley between our typical old mountains, round shapes covered in forest, not high. So just behind my home, lots of hikes start. I always lived here and I like mountains. Plus, I'm getting in shape so the terrain is ideal, especially because I'm really familiar with it. Last summer, I was walking my usual route when I thought I could try to have a short hike before sunset and took a route. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with Italian ground, but there aren't the big spaces and long distances, typically of the U.S., I imagine. Picture the average small town of 2,500 people starting from bottom in the two to three hour hiking you're on top of the mountain and the route. I took was about 30 minutes to arrive halfway up the mountain to a big Christian cross and a nice view. I was with my dog, a well-trained spit, a nice company with good instincts that I trust. He's a working dog, more than a pet, despite his size. So we took the path and started making our way up, nice and relaxed but active as we didn't have too much light time left. I just figured that if light went low, 
I just turn around and head home. No chances of getting lost. The woods immediately engulf us. Pretty dense and it's the norm. Not even 15 minutes of walking and I'm paralyzed with this overwhelming sense of dread. The woods were completely silent. My skin begins to crawl just thinking about it. Even my dog stops and he's anxious. I just couldn't understand what was scaring me so much. In the sudden silence, I couldn't move a muscle. I've read The Gift of Fear, and the only time I didn't listen to my gut, I lost my spleen in an accident. So, wide-eyed and hyper-alert, I forced myself to move and noped out of there. It was like my brain was screaming, If you stay here, you'll die. Walking back, I couldn't stop the urge to continuously look behind me. At some point, I was practically running, and I kept thinking that if I sprained an ankle, I would die. The dog seemed relieved when we had turned back, and he kept looking behind, too. When we finally made it out of the woods and back on the road, I felt a wave of relief and ran all the way back home from the adrenaline I had. To this day, I don't know what happened, and I haven't gone back. I was in my last year before retiring from the Army and was going through a divorce. My soon-to-be ex went back to Texas with my two girls, and I planned to move closer to them once my retirement was official. I rented a small two-bedroom in Tennessee in a town called Indian Mound. Indian Mound was out of the way and really isolated. My commute sucked, but it was cheap and peaceful. I had no neighbors. Across the street was all conservation land for miles. On one side and around the back of the property was a swamp. On the other side, the closest house was out of shouting distance. I enjoyed living there initially. Before this, I lived in the suburbs. And all the noise, people, and traffic drove me crazy. One night... I came home around one in the morning from a concert in Nashville. It was early spring and it was somewhat foggy out. The driveway dipped down and the house was about an eighth mile from the road. As I pulled in, I saw a huge black dog standing in the front yard. It looked like a black lab or lab mixed breed. It stood with its head up and its tail straight up. It was fixated on me. I slowly pulled my car up, unsure about what to do next, when it turned and ran into the swamp. I didn't think much of it and went inside. Over the following few months, things started happening at night. I would always wake up around three or so in the morning, thinking I heard voices outside my window and sometimes it sounded like someone or a couple of people were whispering to each other. But I couldn't understand what they were saying. Sometimes I would hear footsteps and movement outside. 
I thought it was maybe a deer or that dog, but when I looked out, I saw nothing. This type of shit continued for months. One night, I woke up to a noise and saw it was 2.57 a.m. A bright white light shone through the porch glass doors. I ran out into the kitchen and looked through the small sink window, and it looked like someone was out in the swamp shining a spotlight. It was one of those high-powered lights used in search and rescue. It was blinding and lit up the whole kitchen. I opened the back doors and ran out onto the porch, yelling I was calling the cops. The light went out, and I heard someone moving away from the house through the swamp. Cops came out and took a report and told me to ensure my doors were locked and to call if anything else happened. I was hyper-vigilant for the next few days. I checked behind me when I was coming and going and always slept with the shades drawn and doors locked. The footsteps around the house continued, and some nights I thought I could hear a dog panting outside my window, although I never found tracks or saw signs of an animal in the morning. Things died down after a while and I was about three months away from the end of my lease. I woke up around three in the morning, scared out of my mind. I was sleeping and heard a woman calling my name in my dream. I opened my eyes and realized it was a dream when I heard the voice call my name again, clear as day. I shot up out of bed and turned on the lights. I checked in the closet and under the bed. I opened the bedroom door and listened out in the hallway. I couldn't hear anything and was about to cut the lights and go back to bed when someone started pounding on my front door. I nearly jumped out of my skin. It was like someone was bashing the door with a sledgehammer. I yelled out that I had a gun and to get the F off my property. I said I called the cops and I'll blow your effing head off before they get here. The pounding immediately stopped. Cops came out again and took another report. There was no visible damage to the door or footprints around the property. It all just stopped after that. I did buy a 9mm, but the rest of my time renting there was without incident. I'm back in Texas, in an apartment complex in the Burbs, and I don't mind. The backwoods of Tennessee were the creepiest effing place I have ever journeyed to. And that, dear listeners, is the end of these true creepy backwoods stories. If you are sleeping, I hope Slumberland is treating you well. If you are awake and listening, I hope you have enjoyed this collection. Until next time, I'll read to you soon. Have yourself a good morning, a good afternoon, or a good night.
This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.